Hey, this is Russell, and I work at the video store. I love this job because when the store is quiet, I get to watch movies and series and talk about them with all my chummies that work here. And interesting people then pop in to rent something, and over the course of the chat, we help them find something to rent. So we're here to help you figure out what you could be watching on streaming platforms and out in cinemas. All right, let's do it. Let's open up the shop. Kolski, how's it? How are you, my boy? I'm back from the cold ocean. Back from Camps Bay. Yeah, back from Camps Bay this time. Back, back from Camps Bay, a theatre run and a taxi strike. We are going to get into it. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you for Hi. listening. We are the video store. We T- are. Today on the show, a good friend of mine, Dan Snadden, is popping in. He is a, a person who has spent his, pretty much his whole life in the world of animation. He's an animation director, storyboard artist, um, and all-around amazing dude. He's the kind of guy who, at Comic-Con and at places, you would go and listen to him talk. He would give these talks on animation. He's very much mentoring how people use the medium and tell stories. Amazing. And so it's going to be amazing to actually have him pop in he's one of those dudes that have been so busy um but i've tracked him over the years and and stay in touch and see him every now and again but he goes on and makes these incredible animated shorts that win awards and are celebrated around the world like the dude's a big deal and um even if you don't necessarily you know make films or or would think you would be interested in listening to a director or someone in animation talk. It's worth listening to because not only is he just a great guy, but he speaks very well, uh, has led an interesting life and um, can hopefully make you appreciate animation. So nice. that's the that's the the chat that's going to happen soon. Um, but as you said, Cole, you've just come back. Yeah. Just so back. Cole, uh, who's one of our co-workers here, has... Spent the last few weeks in Cape Town because Cole is also a very accomplished musician. And he was part of Jonathan Rocksmith's Key Change. Mm. We had Jonathan on the show a few episodes back. And it was great to get to know him and talk about the show, which then has had the successful run. Yeah. And you know, at the end of it. And you are going to come back to Joburg in October. Tickets on web tickets. Tickets are on web tickets. Mm. And it's a great uh, musical theater show. You run through a whole bunch of um, popular songs. Exactly. But told in a really cool and interesting way. Exactly. It's basically a comedy show, which is what I've been experiencing. It's a comedy show with a whole bunch of really amazing music. Yeah. And Um, I think you, as, as we mentioned in the show with Jonathan... He's an incredibly accomplished musician. So I mm. think you are watching the top guys yeah. perform. And I think, Cole, you are one of them. You, you're a, I think I'm just lucky. No, but all of these shows that you do, you also just get better and better. Mm. It's keeping your chops, grow. man. No, it's, totally. It's like it's 
it's flavoring your your lamb chops. <laughs> flavoring my lamb chops. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's you got can, something to do with bass guitar. Yeah, um, yeah. Your chops as a musician. Yes, but then exactly. I likened them to little lamb chops. Little lamb chops. Got it. I got it. Don't worry. And I was explaining it to you. To oh, the, the, the to listeners the folks who, who okay. don't necessarily know what it means when you tell someone you got, He's got chops. chops. He's got chops, but um, after the chat with Dan, myself and Cole will catch up. There's a couple of movies, uh, one or two interesting TV shows coming out that we want to chat about. Mm. Um, I've seen a couple of films which I want to tell you about, Cole. Nice. So we'll get into that after the chat with Dan, so please stick around for that. Amazing. Um, but if you are in Joburg, uh, in the week of this episode coming out, The Bioscope is hosting a very special screening on Thursday, the 24th, at The Bioscope, a screening of Old Boy. Oh, Yes. Which is one of your favorites of all time, Cole. Yeah, it is, it is uh, now celebrating 20 years. Mm, it would be something like that, yeah, 2003. Yeah, 20 years. 20 yeah. years. This is the 20 year remaster. So 4K remaster. 4K remaster, which um, friends of ours, uh, the distribution company Gravel Road, um, they released a lot of cool stuff in South Africa. They know us and they came straight to me with this one. They were Absolute. like, this is one for the Bioscope. Yes. So we hosted a sold out screening last week um, for a dumpling box. And now we are doing a video store presents night. Yeah. It's so good. You have to do two shows in two weeks. Yeah. And so you it's know. an honor to, to bring this. Uh, it's a Korean film. Yeah. South um, Korean film. South Korean film. And it's one of those films uh, that have just become a classic. Yeah. Celebrated neo-noir how do we describe it yeah very neo-noir like officially it's part of the south korean new wave and i think it's probably the most important film in that movements of the late 90s early noughties uh, where a whole bunch of government money was going into the arts in south korea and then these amazing directors came out of that one of which was uh oscar winner bong joon ho of parasite yeah um so it's an incredible film i think good to watch if you're into like good Shakespearean tragedy. Big stakes. Um, big stakes. Uh, very artistic in terms... I hate using that word to describe films, but I think it's good. You're not watching something that's regular. You're watching something that is very dynamic emotionally and visually. And yeah, it's just a wild ride from start to finish. This about director revenge. is Park Chan-wook. Park Chan-wook, yes. Okay, lovely. Yeah. Okay, so as of right now, there are still some tickets available. So... Be sure to pop over to thebioscope.co.za and mm. you'll see the old boy poster in the coming attractions. And we hope to see you. We're going to present it in that we'll give a little uh, a little high beforehand and we want to meet you. That's probably the most important thing. We wish we yeah. could come to cities around the world and hopefully we'll get there at some point as a podcast. But for now, uh, we're based in Joburg. We record here in the Bioscope and it's a great chance to meet guys that listen. Yeah. And and that's the most important thing is to meet you uh, and also meet new people that might just come to the movie. That's the point of these present nights. Exactly. People might just come and don't know anything about the podcast and we use it as a chance to uh, tell them more, hopefully bring them a little closer um, and we all become friends. Yeah. All, all right. Friends that hold hands. <laughs> cool. All right. Uh, let's get into it. This is Dan Snadden popping in to rent something. How's it? Hey. It's been so long. It's been way too long, I, I would say. <laughs> it's so good to see you. It's great to see you. And it's great to have seen you across the years 
being involved in some of the most incredible stuff. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we first met um, in like a stop motion animation class at Vitz. Do you remember that? That's right. Yeah. And that's when I realized how talented you were. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. And your um, love for animation just seemed to have blossomed from there. How do you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm. Uh, <laughs> so uh, uh, my name's Dan Snadden, and I am an animator, a storyboard artist, and an animation director. And I'm based in Cape Town. And uh, if um, uh, if people know um, about the South African animation scene, I used to work for Triggerfish for quite a long time. I still do a bit of consulting work for them, uh, and I'm probably best known for um, work that I've done adapting a couple of children's books into Christmas specials for the BBC. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's what had me sort of initially very excited was the revolting rhymes, right? Revolting rhymes. So I worked on revolting rhymes as an animation supervisor um, with the team uh, at Magic Light Pictures who are based in the UK. And at that time there were, there was the head office in the UK and they had a little studio in Berlin, which I got to go visit, which was a lot of fun. And the directors of Revolting Rhymes were based out of Berlin, but they would come down to Cape Town because the Triggerfish was supposed to only do a, a little bit of work, and we ended up doing quite a lot of work for that for okay. that short. Yeah, and um, and that's that's definitely been our most in terms of international notoriety. That's been our most successful project. That yeah. was nominated for an Oscar. It was nominated for an Oscar. We got to see Mark Hamill read out the name of our film. And then read out the name of the winner, which was a which wasn't you. We, we were up against uh, we were up against Dear Basketball, which was Kobe uh, Bryant in his hometown, LA uh, Lakers. You don't take on the LA Lakers in, in LA, you know. Um, so I remember that year, yeah, because we always screen the Oscar-nominated short films at the right, Bioscope. Right, right, right. So it was so cool. We, there's been a few that you've been involved in. Well, and I want to be 100 percent sure whether I credit you correctly. Sure. Um, so the. The, most of the specials that I've um, directed, well, all, all of the specials I've done for, for Triggerfish and for Magic Light have been adaptations of books by Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler. They're the, they're the writing and illustration duo that are most well-known for The Gruffalo. Yes. And for anyone who's got toddlers... You know it well. You know it. <laughs> you didn't do the Gruffalo one when that was no, adapted, eh? No, so that was done at a, a German studio called Studio Soy. And they did uh, adaptations of The Gruffalo, The Gruffalo's Child, and another special called Room on the Broom. Yeah. Um, and then there was a kind of a stretch for about five years where we we handled most of the animation at Triggerfish in South Africa. It's interesting that, that this Cape Town-based animation studio has done so much work. What do you think is it success? Is it the exchange rate? <laughs> it used to be. It should still be, right? I mean, <laughs> right now. Sure, but I've always found that amazing that it's that it's provided the location is right. Um, yeah. You see these whole big budget films come all the way to South Africa just because it's cheaper. That's true. You know, we... But what was Triggerfish's um, success? Uh, their kind of way in was, so Triggerfish um, did two feature films back-to-back Adventures in Zambezia and uh, Kumba. I remember Kumba. We screened Kumba at Tobias Good. Cool, cool. And um, I worked on uh, Kumba, which was directed by Anthony Silverstone, who's one of the partners at Triggerfish. And I worked on that as an animation uh, lead and a, a storyboard artist. And um, and Kumba, you know, they were able to put something up that looked really 
authentically kind of South African, very specifically like the Karoo, you know? It, yeah, because it, it was a story of a of a zebra. A zebra who who goes on a um, a mission to find out where his missing stripes are, you know? That's, okay. It's Cute. a quest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Magic Light Pictures saw that movie and thought, well, that that's really interesting. It looks it looks really good. And when they found out how much money was spent making the movie, they were like, well, that's, you guys can weave straw into gold down there. <laughs> um, we don't know how you do it, but, you, you know, we... The we, fact that it was made for so little. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and for listeners who aren't too uh, familiar with animation and the kind of budgets they have, I mean, a, a, a studio release, it's the same as doing one of these big, you know, temple... Uh, uh, Live action ones. Live action films. So, yeah. I mean, on average, a cheap a cheap animated feature um, would be you know sixty million plus. The expensive ones get, get really expensive. Dollars. Like, yeah, two yeah. two hundred million and above. And all I think everything that's been made in South Africa so far has been probably uh, less than ten, maybe fifteen at a stretch. So, Dollars or rand. Dollars. Dollars. Um, yeah. What is that? Sorry, just as a quick digress. What? What is that? Is that manpower? Well, I think there Cause, is... Because you can understand, like, locations, explosions, yes. like Christopher Nolan saying, I want to drive a plane into a hangar. Like, yeah. you can understand those expenses. But Absolutely. Is, it, is it just the manpower? I, I think if you're looking at um, the big studios and how they, how they make their movies, they've got a lot of world-class talent living in... Los Angeles or someplace like that, which is really expensive. There's, you know, it's unionized. So it's the time of the it's of the, the time, animators. It's the time and, of the and animators. And just the sheer amount of people that it's going to take. Hundreds of people, usually. Yeah. You know, and and so to, uh, for a for a, a, an independent studio um, like Triggerfish back then, um, you know, we would have a, a, a only about half the the amount of crew. Most of us were green, coming out of advertising or even college, mm. just wanting to do our best, put our best foot forward. Yeah, and and um, there was a hunger, and there was enough concentration of talent. I think that it, it sort of, you know, something popped, and then, and so it caught the attention of these guys from Magic Light. And I think the reason it did, is because you know, making an independent feature, animated feature, you can't quite hit the quality of a big, you just can't, you know, of a big Pixar, Disney, DreamWorks sure. show, but it looked much better than most of the stuff you'll see on TV. And they make Christmas specials, which are made for TV. Yeah. And they sort of do exist in this in-between space where it's more aiming towards feature quality. Yeah. It doesn't have to be exactly that. And by feature quality, you mean just that detail of like every piece of fur on the monster's yeah. back waves in the wind. It's everything. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the animation is defined as a frame-by-frame frame medium. So it's, it's designing everything you see on the screen frame-by-frame. Frame. Yeah. Um, and so it's uh, Cause yeah. it's wild when you think of something like The Lion King, the the yeah. remake, yeah. which was called the live action remake, but yeah. there was nothing live action about it. <laughs> Every single blade of grass was was digitally made. Absolutely, I actually have a friend who was the um, animation director on on uh, on one of the films that I, I I worked on. Well, he was the animation director on Kumba. He worked yeah. on that live action Lion King, yeah. and it was it was. Frame by frame, animated. They didn't. They didn't have the um, lions all in the little motion capture suits, you know, yeah. <laughs> with the ping pong balls and everything. Um, so it, it is. It's a tricky thing to, you know, it's a tricky thing to qualify. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, man. Yeah. Okay, so then, so from that, it was the BBC stuff. Yes. Um, and then, what has kept you busy recently? So it's funny. Um, so Triggerfish, you know, got a lot of um, 
uh, attention from Revolting Rhymes and from these Donaldson shorts. Um, the last uh, short film that I directed with uh, um, Triggerfish for Magic Light was called The Snail and the Whale. Uh, you directed that? Yes. So I directed Snail and the Whale with uh, another wonderful director named Max Lang, who directed The Gruffalo. So you, you are an... Oscar-nominated director. We well, it's uh, we got on the long list for the Oscars, but what we did, what was a lovely surprise. Snail in the Whale was it nominated? It was. It almost got nominated. Oh, it was part of the shortlist. It was part of the shortlist. So we got ah, we got on a couple lovely. of screeners. The yeah. Snail in the Whale is amazing. Thank you, thank you. Oh, that's great, man. Um, the, the the lovely surprise is that after we had this sort of um, uh, uh, you know run at the Oscars, uh, we thought that that was kind of it. And then they brought the, the children's and young people's BAFTAs back after a, a three-year hiatus because of COVID. And, uh, and so two years after we finished the film, we actually won two BAFTAs. We won oh. um, Best Animation and Best Director. So, um, oh, well done, so man. That, That's amazing. Thank you. So it's uh, a real testament to the, like I said, the, the talent, you know, the concentration of talent in South Africa. and, and just How much yeah. of Snail in the Whale was South African? Everything that was on screen was South African, and then the the voiceovers were British um, actors. Uh, okay. We had uh, Dame Dinah Rigg in one of her last roles, and um, Sally Hawkins and uh, Rob Brydon oh, as voices. Yes. Uh, we've worked with Rob on almost, I, I think, on all of the Donaldson films. Rob's been a voice. And, okay, uh, is that, so is that someone you've gotten to know? Well, we've I've been on I've been on a um, a couple of zooms with Rob. Okay, <laughs> he's, no, he seems like a delightful dude. He's delightful. He doesn't disappoint. He's exactly like like how he is on the panel shows. He's exactly the same. Okay, he's, he's really fast and really funny. And as a director of animation, what does that entirely mean? That's a great question because um, <laughs> I think if you were to ask different people, and you know, I've just been involved with with a couple of different projects with Triggerfish where um, there were a, a lot of uh, directors kind of directing animation for the first time. Some of them were from live action. Some of them were from yeah. design. And I think there's there's a bit of a, a, a spectrum in terms of approach. And I think that it all depends on how much control you want. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because it's interesting that to me, I, I understand the basics of directing a human, like yes. a live action human. And it's not necessarily about getting that performance it's about getting that performance under the situation yes. and our good friend Samantha Nell yes um who's been on the show um nice mutual friend of, of you and I like we were saying how difficult it is you know someone could be very naturally funny but now you've got to get them to act mm. 10 times in a row and be funny or they've got to cry and you've but I came to realize the skill of the director is to know your limits know that after the fifth time they're not going to give you that or they're going to get cold in the water and they're not going yeah. to perform and they're going to do all these kinds of things. Yeah. But then I realized that with animation, you can do it over. You can change it. Yeah. And you can make a better performance. Absolutely. And you can digitally like make the, f you know, say so that that helps, right? <laughs> well, it does. I mean, so there's, when I speak about this to, to, um, cause I, I teach a little bit at the animation school in Joburg and in Cape Town. And, um, and I, and I take a, a module on directing. Okay. And I and I basically bring up two examples of directors who are on this spectrum of control. Okay. On the one hand, you have someone like Miyazaki, who's an auteur, right? Yeah. And he literally sits down. And this is not uncommon in Japan and for anime directors. They do the storyboards themselves. They they create, you know, the timesheets. 
And so he he maps the whole thing he out. He maps the whole the thing second. out. And and if you watch the behind the scenes of something like Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away, he checks every frame, or he used to check every single frame, and he used to draw over. He did he did corrections, you know, for his team. Okay, that is a very high level of control. <laughs> that yeah. his, his thumbprint's going to be on every frame of that thing. Um, I had the good opportunity to to have a, a, a long conversation with a wonderful uh, editor named Kevin Nolting a couple of years ago who has connections to South Africa, but he was actually the editor of um, Inside Out. Oh, and, cool. And he works a lot with Pete Doctor at Pixar. And it seems from his description that Pete has the opposite uh, approach. His okay. approach really is get a bunch of people in a room, get a conversation going, and really try to draw on everybody's experiences Okay. Um, their instincts, um, and just surround yourself with a really great team. You know, and that's to workshop the story. To workshop the story, but then I would say that that carries over to uh, everything else. What would the character else. look like, and what would the design be? Exactly. And would his head do that when he gets angry? Or, yeah. Okay. And so he's. It's a much more. I've heard it described as the you know shopping. You know, you're kind of looking for something specific, but you're you're kind of relying you're on. You're uh, open to what's on the shelf. Absolutely. So okay. so. You know, at a place like that, you have um, amazing, you know, talent and uh, and they're going to give you great options. And and you've got okay. a bit of time and a bit of, you know, if, if it's not there, you can explore it a bit. I mean, typically those films take years, you know, five years is not yeah. uncommon, you know. I so. just loved this one moment that I saw in some extra, I think it was for like Finding Nemo, mm. where they had a preview screening and the look on the Dory's face. Yes, I know what you mean. You know what I'm about. talking about? Yeah. It's a great moment. And I think it, it helped me also understand the magic of, of animation. And then they said to the animator, they said, I'm not, I'm not feeling it enough. Yeah. So then he filmed himself and he sort of watched how his eyes and his forehead changed. And, and from that, he, he was able to give Dory more emotion. Yeah. And I just love the fact that you have that ability. <laughs> Absolutely. I think for someone like myself who, you know, the, the, the tendency is to, is to be a little bit of a control freak sometimes, you know. Okay. Um, if there's something that you've imagined very clearly, you, you kind of really try get it, you know. And did you have something like that quite clear with Snail in the Whale? Well, with um, Snail in the Whale, it was interesting because that, that movie... Um, it was, was a book, hey? It was a book, um, also by Julia Dalston and Axel Scheffler. And, um, so you had to sort of cof- copy their look and feel to some degree. So Max, who was my co-director on that, um, you know, he's, he was one of the... He, was, he directed The Gruffalo and Room on the Broom. We directed another movie called Zog Together, which was our first film together. And then mm. we followed that up with Snail and the Whale. He had wanted to make Snail and the Whale as a movie, as a, as a special, since he did The Gruffalo, which was back in 2009. So he'd been thinking about it for a long time. Okay, so you let him perhaps take a bit of lead guitar. Well, we were, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and actually, when, when they started pre-production for Snail, I was still w- working on Zog, trying to finish animation and finish lighting and compositing with the team. And it wasn't clear if Trickerfish was going to make Snail because um, we were gearing up for a feature film called Seal Team, which released on Netflix. And uh, and it wasn't clear if the timing was going to work out, but eventually um, the big concern with making Snail and the Whale was that for a TV special, the amount of VFX, because all of it takes place in water, yeah. and up to that point, only big budget films like you know Moana and you know, yeah. could afford to do that much. Because water, was water. A whole, is a whole beast on its own. Absolutely. And could look terrible. And could look terrible. Wrong. And my perspective coming in was, if you read that story, it's all about a, a whale that takes this little snail and a, a tour around the world and, it, and she kind of 
realizes that the world is really big and she feels tiny, right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a story about scale. It's a story yeah. about realizing that the universe is big and you're small. And the water can give that away. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if the water doesn't feel right, then yeah. the snail's going to feel the wrong size and the whale's going to feel the wrong size. So, so we really put the VFX team through their paces and to their credit, they, they really delivered something quite special. Yeah. And so, and so how, how dirty are your hands in terms of putting yourself in the mud yeah. in terms of the ins and outs of what everybody does? So it's, I, had a really, I had a really privileged time working as a director at Triggerfish because I got to work on and off as a director for about five years. Um, I, 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 I co-directed a, a, a special called Stickman in 2014, 15, and, um, and then worked on Revolting Rhymes as an animator. And, and, um, and so I got to be outside the team as director and then inside the team as an artist. Yeah. And, and I think seeing, the, you know, different directors and their approaches, I, I, I was able to kind of glean, you know, how it affected the team. Mm. <laughs> and, and I have to say that coming out of that, my strong preference is, is that if you have a team that you've worked with before and you've gone through it together, it's such a pleasure to be able to kind of work with them on something where you are all very confident about what it is that you're doing. Yeah. Something like Snail and the Whale, I had such fantastic supervisors that it was a bit more like shopping. You know, they were like, mm. we know what to do. Here, let me show you what we're going to do. And you could be like, that's great. You know, mm. you could just give them a, a brief and they would go off and they would come back and they, they would know the constraints and the look and, and, um, Wow. And how to make it really work, and 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 um, and you know, to their credit, there were a lot of supervisors who had been artists on the other specials, but they, it was their first time supervising, so they had all these new ideas about how they wanted to tackle it. The thing is, stuff. you just take on a whole another set of skills. Absolutely, like yeah. I, I think someone with some creative vision, but a strong, good people person, could probably make a great director, whether they know how to animate anything on a computer or not. Absolutely, but, absolutely. And you, but you could be an amazing artist but not be able to get the vision out of your head and to other people and manage a team of 100 people it's a, so it's kind of like some people need to stay in some place and some people who show aptitude will move around it's, it's so very you, well put yeah. so do you feel that you could do those um, those other things yeah well I, I or would you want to just stay and animate i mean what do you well currently i'm i've i've decided to take a little sabbatical from directing okay and um, the reason is, is that uh, the last film I made, which was called The Smeds and the Smooze, it's another BBC special. Yes, that's done well. It's, well it's, it, did, it did well on Christmas Day uh, in, in the UK. We've got fantastic viewing numbers and um, yeah. we picked up a couple of little awards here and there. Lovely. So we're very happy about and um, how it's been received. That. I directed that with another um, wonderful artist who actually came up through Triggerfish and named Samantha Cutler. So we, okay. we co-directed that. What was really bizarre was that it was all sort of set up during covid yeah, uh, and so we started the movie in COVID over Zoom. Is it a feature film? It's just a it's a twenty five minutes. Okay, so TV special, just like the Triggerfish yeah. ones. Yeah, and it was commissioned by the BBC and um, and made by Magilife Pictures. So when I stopped, when Triggerfish decided to stop making the the, the TV specials and focus on features, and then they've done a, a whole bunch of new exciting projects for Disney and and um, Netflix recently. Mm. Um, I I was hired by. Magic Light Pictures, who's the UK company that hired Triggerfish, um, okay. first you, to do some storyboarding and then to direct. Yes, yeah, so I've I've been working with them for the last uh, three years, um, which is which is great. And I was sort of uh, I found it very ironic. So we were originally, you know, South African labour working for management in London, and then when I the, the the new team that 
did the Smeds and the Smooths was based in London. So after the pandemic, I don't know if Brexit has anything to do with this, but the management was happening in South Africa and the oh, wow. labor was happening in London, <laughs> which was quite bizarre. That's very interesting. Yeah. So um, maybe they are bringing those jobs back to, <laughs> to the UK. <laughs> that's lovely. Okay. So, so the, that's what's keeping you busy now. But I'd love to, I'd love to dial back a bit. Mm. I'd love to go back to perhaps where this kind of all started for you. Yes. Uh, I'm curious to know what in your sort of primary school mm. early age like what were the films that that perhaps put that smile on your face that yeah. you that you've just you've just beamed so i, I we, we want to call that we want to call that like your puppy love film yeah you yeah. know where like your first your first relationship is like you you hold hands you you fall deeply in love but you you know you're young yeah what was that movie for you well the movie that ha- has had the biggest the biggest um um you know that that thing that you're talking about uh, for me was Ghostbusters. Um, oh, interesting! The original Ghostbusters, the live action Ghostbusters. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Ernie Hudson, okay. Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. And uh, and I saw that probably when I was too young. I did see an edited a TV edit that had some of the sexy stuff, kind of. Because we have that as yeah. a question, which is, what was the movie that you were too young to watch? It was probably that one. It was one. probably Ghostbusters. It's probably Ghostbusters, but I remember. Okay, well, what what was it that? Got your attention. It was first of all the car. Cool. <laughs> Being a three-year-old, you know, I'm a, when I say young, I was very young. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing the the ambulance and the lights and mm. and then the all the equipment and them catching ghosts and stuff. And I, I just felt like uh, it just felt really exciting. And mm. I only saw you know other movies. I think for most people, the the, the movie that probably comes up a lot is Star Wars and, and that yeah. kind of stuff. But I think it did the same thing for me. And it was funny, you know, and uh, and um, and it felt like a, a bunch of a guy's taking on a problem that was bigger than themselves and they didn't know how to fix it but through hard work and ingenuity and com- being creative and coming up with a plan they were able to save the world from some you know ghost thing ghost thing some lovecraftian interdimensional thing that was coming to destroy <laughs> destroy them and you know i know that that movie hasn't aged particularly well in some cases there's some you know like all those 80s comedies there's some yeah some problematic stuff. So I, I watch it with that lens now and I have to, you know, you have to kind of just take it as it comes. But um, sure. I'll have to, I'll have to, I haven't shown it to my kids yet. I've shown them other stuff, but I haven't shown them Ghostbusters. Okay, <laughs> so, interesting. Yeah. Um, and then um, perhaps a little bit later on, that, that sort of high school era. Yeah. When you were perhaps a little bit older and you could sort of, you know, the relationship is getting a bit more serious now. You like doing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the crush. It's the we, we want to call it the sort of teenage crush film. Yeah. So what do you I, think that was for you? I was a big fan of Tim Burton when I was a when okay. I was a, a, um, a, in high school. I think I, I think like a lot of nineties kids, you know, uh, really kind of related to the alienation, the, the kind of emo <laughs> kind okay. of vibes of yeah, cool, of Tim cool. Burton. So the Nightmare Before Christmas was a big one for me. Okay. Um, really loved that in high school. Loved the soundtrack and and the aesthetic and. and did, I, did the animation appeal to you? The it, idea of it, the stop motion of it. Absolutely, and the fact that it felt so tactile and tangible. Um, most it of, very much was right. They oh, used yeah. all practical things. Right? A- absolutely, that was all built sets and and built puppets and. Um, I mean, even though Tim Burton didn't direct that, it was Henry Selleck who, who directed Nightmare. Yeah, Nightmare. I loved that. I came back to that much later where they were like, from the director of Nightmare Before Christmas, I'm like, Tim Burton? And they're like, not, they mentioned not, another guy's yeah. name. And I was like, what? <laughs> and then you realize it was Tim Burton's kind of story, yes, original that's right. concept, and then 
you know, adapted by someone else had to helm it by these guys. You know, I I always felt like um, well, well, you know, we were lucky growing up from a film point of view because uh, we we my dad's South African, my mom's Australian. I was about to say, didn't you grow up in Australia? Well, my mom's Australian, my dad's South African, and we, my sister and I, were actually born in the states. Oh, and okay. came over to take, my dad came over um, in 88 to take over a family farm. It was interesting growing up because my mother's Australian-born Chinese, and so we came back during the transition period. Oh, wow. And, uh, okay. and it wasn't, we weren't sure if we were going to stay or not, but it, I feel very lucky to have been in South Africa during the transition and all the euphoria and, um, and okay. you know, the Rainbow Nation sure, sure. era was, was really amazing to be a part of. And, uh, and you know, only... Later in life, kind of heard stories about, oh, actually, you know, we weren't classified as European when we moved over. Oh, cause you, so your stuff. mom was Asian? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she's Chinese. She looks, she looks Chinese, even was, though she sounds, is. She sounds Australian. Um, you can, when I grew up in Nelspreet, which is the low, you know, the low felt. Yeah. And my mother was one of the only Chinese people in, in Nelspreet for a long time. And people were really confused because they, they hadn't seen a Chinese yeah. person. And then she had this Australian accent. <laughs> Wild. Yeah. And, um, and we, she taped... About, um, I would say, close to 70, 80 VHS tapes, long play VHS tapes full of full of stuff before we came over from the States. So Disney Channel stuff. Oh, cool. And on those tapes, there was a lot of Disney classics like Robin Hood mm. and, um, you know, Alice in Wonderland, Pinocchio, those Disney, those Disney films. Yeah. Um, and uh, but also some other like quite weird stuff, like a lot of the Peanuts specials, the okay. Charlie Brown stuff, which was almost like anti-Disney. It was like. Instead of like hopeful, beautiful. Yeah, I was about to say, why is that? Why is that? Yeah. Yeah, it's what's well, limited animation, yeah. and it's dealing with depression and being a loser. And <laughs> you right, that, uh, you forget that. Yeah. yeah, and it and it and and having anxiety and no confidence in yourself and not winning and being okay with it, you know. And, yeah. And then jazz, you know, there was a great <laughs> jazz soundtrack. <laughs> That's right. Vince Guaraldi, all this great piano music and. Um, Okay. And so we had a lot of that, and we used to, used to watch these things, and our friends used to come over, and we used to watch these things on repeat. In Nelspreet. In Nelspreet, for years, like the same the same ads from the 80s, you know, mm. on the VHS tape, oh, sorry, on the VHS but tape. But American ads, because this was all, American this was ads. all yeah. recorded in the States. Okay. So we got to watch everything that was on, you know, SABC and Mnet, and then we had this kind of library of VHS Yeah, it's tape. almost like you had an antenna that took you to uh, to another country's television yeah that's cool so i was really that was quite forward thinking of your mom i think so i think she blames herself that i, <laughs> <laughs> I ended up here yeah um and and but but even things like there's a i mean like the the snowman i don't know if you've ever seen the snowman which is like a, no. a, a british institution but it's this um this uh i think it was made by channel four in the 80s it's all pencil uh like pencil crayon animation okay. and it's based on a, a comic book by raymond briggs Okay. And uh, it's all about this boy who builds a snowman, and the snowman comes to life, and they go off on an adventure. And there's no dialogue. This it's, is this is ringing some bells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's this beautiful Celtic kind of um, song that plays, okay. and it's very bittersweet because you know the next they have this amazing adventure. They go to the North Pole. They meet Father Christmas. He yeah, gets yeah. a gift. He gets a scarf. He comes back. And the next morning, he wants to come out and see a snowman. But he's, he's melted. He's melted. Oh and shit! That, and that's the difference between British <laughs> <laughs> and the American British animation. Uh, yeah. You know, British are like, 
Uh, we want to make an animated film. Life is shit. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Watership Down, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I remember watching Watership Down as a kid and going like, this is fucking tough. It's hectic, right? And I think that I was always attracted to that kind of stuff as a kid because, um, like I said, the Burton, the Burton, you know. Yeah, I think you had, a bit a, of, you had that sensibility about you. A bit yeah. of bittersweet. It's got to have a little bit of teeth, you know? Okay. Um, because it needs to feel like you're not just being spoon-fed um, sugar. You, you want a bit of sour, savory. Sour sweet, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. You you then went back to Australia to study. Hey? That's correct, yeah. I So, I, so we, when we met at WITS, um, uh, I, I was in the fine arts program and, yeah. um, and did a year there. And I'd studied two years of a computer animation course at Boston Media House just before that. So I knew a bit of Maya and that kind of stuff. But I also knew that I didn't really... I could kind of feel my way around the software. I could draw a bit, but I knew that when I saw the stuff on TV, I was like, I can't do that. You know, the stuff that I liked. I'm like, how do they do that at that okay. quality? And so, to to I like um I, I'm trying to remember who the lecturer was, but to his credit, we did a a, a narrative module. Yeah. Um, in first year, and they looked at what I had done, and they were like, Oh, you shouldn't be here. You should be doing narrative. You should go maybe to find find an animation program. You know, maybe go to to um, uh, Technicon or or after or someplace like that. You shouldn't be where uh, doing 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 fine art at. Vitz. Okay. They were like, oh, you shouldn't be doing fine art. You don't. That's not what you love doing. You yeah. should be doing. You, you want to be telling stories because they they got a sense that you knew how to tell a story. I think they could see that I was only really focused on one thing. <laughs> what was and the it, one thing? It was narrative. Yeah, exactly. What telling you're a, telling a telling some kind of tale. Exactly. As opposed to a fine art student. Painting one still picture. Yeah, and um, or just and, learning about form or making some abstract art piece. You you wanted to bring that to life. Yeah, clearly. I, I think I think I think what it was probably is that they they were interested in ideas and concepts, and I was interested in jokes. <laughs> I okay. To tell jokes. Okay. No. Okay. Good. Uh, um, okay. So so they they advised you to go elsewhere. So yeah. Is that when you went to Australia? So I went to Australia. I did a two year. Pro, uh, um, a two years of a three-year program. Luckily, they gave me a, a year's credit, and I did uh, classical animation, so drawing pencil on paper, flipping, flipping paper, and then oh, filming cool. it all under a camera. Oh, lovely! So I feel like I got uh, I got some old school. And that's when you did that chops. that one yeah. thing I saw, which I think was that character that loses its head. Yes, and he's looking for his. So I did that. So I did a three-minute film. I called it Lost Corp just because yeah, that's I was right. in Australia. I was like. I gotta, Retain my South African identity somehow. Lovely. Um, and, and, and the character sort of loses his head, and he comes out of a box. He's got no head, and he searches in the box for his head, and he can't find it. And that's kind of it. I, and I just remember seeing that, and and thinking, wow, this this is amazing. Like you, oh, thank you. It was it was very skilled. Well, I was. Um, I, I I did most of the anim. I think I did all of the animation myself. I had some help from a lecturer who helped me paint up some backgrounds and. And another friend of mine who helped me composite the whole thing, and okay. and actually the music was a, a was done at Vitz uh, by my friend who was in the composing program. Yeah, Anthony. I, I did a little. Yeah. I did a little of that as well. Awesome. Oh, Anthony Hainan. Hainan, yes. Oh, he's magic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, and and that got me. You know, it, it went to a couple of festivals. I got to go to um, Beijing to a student film festival there, and oh, cool. and to Munich. Uh, opened some doors. Yeah, opened some doors. And then when I came back to South Africa, because I'd actually made a film. Which, when you study animation in South Africa before, at that time, it's different now. I think everyone makes films now. But, yeah. um, but ba back then, you usually sort of do, used to do more software exercises. So the fact that I actually had the software stuff and I also had a complete film, I got hired at a place called Bugbox Animation. 
remember uh, which that. is a little yeah. um, boutique studio they did mostly sort of um, commercials for Kellogg's and yeah uh, someone's got to animate those things and I think that's what Talk a lot of yeah. that's what a lot of animators end up doing yeah, that, not, not not many get to work on cool BBC short films yeah well at that time that was the game you know we it was mostly a, a, a bootstrapped industry doing service work for um, commercials for commercials with a couple of exceptions there was um, place called Clockwork Zoo that was doing a show called Pax Urbo down in Cape Town. They were a bit of an institution. And the the goal, when you went to any animation studio back then, the goal was, let's make a movie. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And, and, and uh, Triggerfish actually approached Bob Box and, and wanted to take basically the whole team <laughs> okay. uh, to, to in, and incorporate them yeah. into Triggerfish. And at that point, Tim, Tim my boss, and, and Rory, they weren't ready to do that. They, they wanted to kind of do their own thing. Yeah, sure. And I worked with Bob Box for a long time, for about six years. We made a little independent um, uh, straight-to-DVD uh, short film called The Adventures of Toby uh, that they self-funded. And that really kind of um, got me onto Triggerfish's radar as a potential director because I directed that over okay. over three years. Um, and uh, and then I kind of, um, I really wanted to get into film. So when Bob Box had a bit of a, had a bit of a, um, a moment where they were trying to figure out if they were going to stay, stay in, uh, commercials or push for their own content or they uh, they had a bit of a break um i called up triggerfish and said do you have anything the timing was perfect because they were like yeah we're looking for an animation supervisor and i went okay. straight down there to work on kumba okay think, uh, the next month um so now in this point in your life so you've come out of varsity this is now the phase we at the video store like to call the like we're getting serious phase, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is like you've had your puppy love you've had your sort of teenage crush yes now you're in the serious phase where yeah. you, you're actually spending a lot of time with your partner, you're living together, you, you're you adults. Yes. What, what was that? What were those movies for you? So the two, I think that there were three movies that came in quick succession that had a huge impact on on me and then also what I kind of felt like I'd, I'd love to do yeah. one day. Um, and, and, and mainly from my my two heroes, which are Brad Bird and Miyazaki, so I okay. saw the I saw the Iron Giant uh, when I was in college, and it, and it really just um, uh, okay magic made me feel like um, this is exactly what I should be doing. I really I I had some misgivings about should I be in animation? Maybe should I try live action? Should I try something else? Is it, does it seem like uh, something that I I really want to be doing? And I I felt like that film was so smart because it dealt with big. The Iron Giant. Big, heavy themes that dealt with nuclear war. <laughs> yeah. And um, identity and, you know, are we inherently good or evil? Are we, you know, predestination versus form versus function? You know, yeah. that whole um, conceit of like, what if, what if a gun had a soul? You know, and, and I think as yeah. people, that's kind of us, right? We could do, we can do whatever, we make the decision. And I think that that spoke to me on a very uh, personal level. And I just love 2D animation, the idea of going to study 2D animation. I got really okay, excited about that. Yeah. And then when I went to study in Australia, I got to see uh, um, Spirited Away got a got a theatrical release here oh, in cool. South Africa. So yeah. I think Video Vision um, put it out at theaters, and man, that blew my mind. Was, it's quite a it's quite a weird film. I must say, I, I I had anime drive past me the majority of my life. Like I right. didn't, I didn't jump on. I didn't. To me, it was perhaps just a bit of ignorance. Like to me, it was like Heidi. You know, like the Heidi sure. special. So, like, which is funny because that Miyazaki worked on that. No, I know, <laughs> yeah. no, I know. And and we actually had Chris Chameleon on the show, the, oh, the wow. musician. Yeah, and he yeah, was yeah. like, he was just saying how it, it vibrates so well. Yeah. He used some great expression, which had me go, maybe I should have re-looked what that was in my head. Yeah. And then I I only 
sort of dipped my toe in later in life and then of course jumped right in and have been trying to watch as much as I can. There's a lot um, out there. Yeah, and I, but I, I wanted to specifically start with him and all the Studio Ghibli stuff. Yeah. Um, Spirited Away is, it's odd, it's weird. It's, it's weird. not necessarily for kids. It's, no, no, no. It's all. not. And it's, perhaps that's the misconception is that people think that that animation is for kids. It's quite haunting. It's quite weird. <laughs> it is. And uh, that, you know, that scene where parents turn into pigs and stuff. You know, yeah. You see, if you see that as a young kid, that's got to be a little traumatic, right? But I remember it made me feel like a kid. You know what I mean? Like, okay, like, yeah. Like it ironically takes you back to that. Yeah. Um, and also that, that character on the bridge with the no face. What's it called? No, it's called no face. It's called no face. Yeah. He like just turns into this giant gluttonous mouth, giant mouth eventually. And then, you know. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I mean, I think. So what did, what, did, what, what did that do for you? Apart from making you feel like a kid again. What I felt that it did. And, and something that I got really excited about. Uh, was the idea that it hears something that is so beautifully made and so beautifully observed. Those characters are so specific. And that girl, uh, Chihiro, um, who goes on the adventure, she's, um, she's based on one of Miyazaki's friend's daughters. And you can kind of tell that it's a person. It's yeah. not just a, a, an idealized version of, you know, of what, yeah. we, what we, we think of. It's not like a. She feels um, very well-rounded. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and not you know, and you know, a bit whiny in the beginning, and a bit sort of lethargic, and yeah, and then, and it's really about how she kind of grows into confidence and 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 learns that the adult world is not as scary as she can actually she can actually make her way in this world that feels overwhelming, you know. Yeah. Um. So it's an it's a film that you know is supposed to encourage young people to to go. Yes, it's it's weird. It's overwhelming. It has rules that you do not understand, but you can get there. You know. Um, okay. And what I loved about it was it was so so specifically Japanese. Mm. You know, the bathhouse, the um, the little they, like they call it a dragon? theme park. Oh yeah, the dragon. Oh yeah. And the, and how the dragon is the river, and you know, it's it's their one thing. And the boy okay. is the dragon is the river, and they have the same name. The mythology felt so rich, and and they only give you a glimpse. They don't explain anything to you. They just yeah. drop you in the middle of this world. And I just thought, man, it but would I, be so cool to do something like that here at some yeah. point. You know, I interrupted you. You were saying sure. like the theme park. What were you saying about theme park? Yeah, it's like this theme park, but not like a, a theme park with rides. But the, the they discovered this abandoned theme park, which was just supposed to be like a um, a, a recreation of a certain time in you know in japan's history it's like a village from a certain era you know? yeah um and all of that that kind of nostalgia you know yeah that it evokes and it's so weird I, i've read his book starting point which is excellent and he talks he says he says something interesting about animators specifically he says that he feels that as animators we are all nostalgic for a world that didn't really exist you know interesting this is miyazaki this is miyazaki yeah and 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 i think that that's a really because when you hear about what he's done there he's taken things it's not it's not it's not it is based on something but it's not that thing it's it's inspired by a couple of different he's kind of putting things together you know mm. and uh, and he's creating something that feels very authentic and very true it's not like oh that is that town you know that you mm. can go to that town and go oh this is where it is and there, yeah, there's yeah. that there's that building and there's that building you know so i love that idea about uh, of taking inspiration from where we are you know mm. uh, and some of the projects i'm working on at the moment well one of them specifically it's set in johannesburg and uh, we're developing it with um some some cool uh joburg based um people can you speak about it a bit i don't think i can i we just okay. signed a, an nda with um, okay. one of the big streamers and uh and okay. uh, but it's it's cool people. Hopefully, I mean I think it's people that um, that the listeners might recognize as well as being you know uh, 
in in the comedy and filmmaking kind of scene here. Cool, but, but yeah. and, and and animation, animation, and, and and so you're saying what what you can take from that is to how how you can kind of harness the essence of Joburg. Yeah. But then create, but create, create something new with it. Yeah. Create something new and almost kind of try to, instead of trying to just mimic what's here, like make a caricature of it, you know, make something that mm. feels heightened, you know. I mean, a lot of anime does that, right? They're not, yeah. they're not trying to recreate reality. They're trying to give you something that feels like a, a, a hyper real version or like yeah. a heightened version of it. Have you seen Your Name? Yes, I loved Your Name. So that was my entry. That's a into, beautiful film. Into anime. And I was like, what an amazing first film to watch incredible film and that was my like first proper one i watched it in lockdown with um who was then my housemate cole who's now one of the co-workers here at the video store awesome and we um we called out to each other in the house for for weeks afterwards because you know in the movie it's about it's, it's, it's quite a complicated story but basically it's this this quite young love story between a male and a female yeah. and they and they communicate to each other sort of through dimensions and time i don't want to give too much away yeah and it starts um, as a body swap story you think yeah it was this yeah. sort of funny body swap story in the beginning but later on in, in lockdown two of us doing nothing in the house he doing something <laughs> on the one side me on the other side we'd call to each other and he'd like, <laughs> and he'd like shout back like Des, or whatever the guy's name was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very funny. Oh, that's awesome. And it was such a great movie. And it, it, it might have been um, optioned and was going to be made by, I think, J.J. Abrams. And then, really? And then I think Star Wars got in the way. And I think it's I'd love to know whether it'll ever be made. It is interesting to me the kind of trend to, to take animation and to make it into live action because... Yeah, well, on that note, the, the Lion King thing did fuck all for me. Like... <laughs> That was just a show off, I guess. And if anything, it just it, it had you realize two things. Here's my two cents on the Sure. It had you realize how perfect the first one was. Oh, it's a good film, hey. And yeah. how ugly a warthog is in real life. <laughs> like that's kind of all you got from it. I, I, I haven't seen it. Um I've I have a couple of friends who worked on it. Uh but um but it is it's tr it's to, to to me here's the here's the sort of strange um here's the strange thing about it. So animation is a like we, we sort of said earlier it's that the definition of the medium it's frame by frame yeah. and and you know that's whether it's stop motion puppets and and sets uh, or cgi in the computer or you know pencil and paper and and that kind of thing it's it, the the technique is one frame at a time and so the opportunity is to design one frame at a time and if you look at the lion king through the eyes of a of a, a design exercise the colors that they're using the patterns that they're using, um, the way that they kind of move the characters across the screen and get you from one moment to the next. I mean, you can look at a, a sequence. Are you talking about the original line? The original line. line yeah. Thing. You can look at a, a sequence like Be Prepared, you know, where they've have all the, they're, they're sort of goose vaguely, stepping. Yeah, it looks Nazi. Yeah. Goose, goose stepping hyenas and, and you know, hell-like hell volcanoes and brimstone. Yeah, and, well, you, you, you just know. take it to another place. Yeah, you or, know. Or, or, or um, the uh, I just I just can't wait to be king. Where they're sliding around and, and all of a sudden they're in this um, almost like a, a cabaret style, you know, totally and space. And I, we, you know, as I said, we screened these Oscar-nominated short films, and there was one um, short film which I think ended up winning the Oscar that year, which was the very beautiful pencil drawing about the family and the daughter and the mm, daughter. Oh my goodness! And the, and the big reveal. Spoiler uh, alert! If anything is that, happens, I love you. Yeah, the film one, is called yeah. "If Anything Happens, I Love You," and the and the spoiler was that 
you know, this was going to be a commentary on on gun violence in school because yeah. this little girl um, gets gunned down. But the, they use animation, they use the shadows yes. to show things. And they, you know, and I just said to the students when we when we did the special screening, I just said, don't you think it's amazing that you can use animation to do something that live action can't? It can absolutely. You can play in such a way that shows you something like this shadow coming to life. And, a- absolutely, and, and and those characters are so simple; they don't carry. They're not. They're almost like stick figures. You know, they're yeah. a bit more sophisticated than that. But but they have so much that's not defined about them that you can really project yourself into those characters. You totally. know, the parents and the daughter, and yeah. And, and just to go back to Lion King, I just can't wait to be king. I also spoke about that specifically to someone. I said that becomes this frenzy kaleidoscope and you and you just get so lost in how fantastical that moment gets. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean and you could never do that if you wanted to do a real life warthog and a real life yeah. meerkat. So there's kind of no point in in doing it. I was I was talking to a friend of mine um, who's also an animator and we were discussing 2D and 3D. And I think that the big difference is, is that in 2D, for me, when you see a drawing, what you're seeing often is an artist's you're getting a glimpse into their inner world. They're interested in something about what they're drawing. They they have a feeling that they're trying to convey through the drawing. Okay. And it's very one-to-one, you know. They, yeah. they they have their brain, their eyes, their hand, and a pencil. Yeah. And so whatever they're choosing to, to put in, whatever bit of detail they're choosing to put in, or however they're, they're choosing to kind of, um, what they're choosing to show, yeah. that's a decision that they're making based on their kind of, their inner world version of that thing, you know. Okay. Whereas in CGI, it's um, it can do amazing things. And what I found working as a, because I direct ma- mainly in CGI, is that there's so much information. There's information about, if you make a character, for example, like I mean, you can use the Lion King characters as a perfect example. Okay. You know, if you look at Simba in the 2D version, he's an outline and, and to, to, to show hair, you know, the tuft of fur, they just make the line a bit jagged. Yeah. yeah. You know. But they don't have to draw every single piece okay. of fur on him. Right? Yeah, yeah. So instead you get a flat plane of color and you just yeah. your brain goes, fur. You know? Yeah. I get it, fur. Yeah. Whereas in CGI, just to get it looking right, you know, yeah. you have to get all that stuff right and you have to put in all that detail just to get to a point where you have a lion that looks like a lion, you know? Yeah. And and then the the decision has to be what do we take away? So the in yeah. the audience's head, their imagination doesn't run as wild. I and if anything, it's the opposite. The audience goes, I want to see more proper fur. Well, I think... Otherwise, I th- this looks cuck. Well, no. I, think, I think what you get is, okay, so that's a lion. It looks just like a lion, like I would see at, yeah. at, the, at, at the park or whatever. And now when it does something that doesn't do what a lion's supposed to do, you're like, hang on a minute, what's going on here? Okay. <laughs> it's like your brain is yeah. like no, trying to got you, yeah. trying to um, to marry these things. And I think that, look, I mean, I'm a big fan of great CGI and, and, and this is in VFX or in, you know, there, there have been amazing CGI movies. One of the films that really got me excited about CGI, because I've pretty much only mentioned hand-drawn or yeah, stop-motion yeah. films, was um, The Incredibles. I just thought okay. The Incredibles was so uh, smart yeah. and and so and used CGI in a way that I, I felt was really um, sophisticated and, and, and exciting when I saw okay. it, when it came yeah. out. And uh, I was a huge fan of that. And that, 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 that was also Brad Bird, hey? Also Brad Bird, yeah. yeah. 
And I thought that what they chose not to put in there, you know, they didn't have nostrils, for example, the characters, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, okay. So, they, so they gave you some, they gave you some imagination. You exactly. Know? And they're trying to use. Yeah, and also, some like of that. the mom had the sort of big bum, and like you know, <laughs> yeah. she sort of had this sort of mommy figure. It was almost like Dexter's yeah. laboratory mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they they were making, they were kind of making a. Um, they were using that same, I think because Brad started off as a 2D animator, you know, he worked on The Simpsons for a long time oh, and, uh, and King of the Hill. and. Uh, okay, so he, he knew where he was coming from. And yeah, and anyone who's a fan of both Tim Burton and Brad Bird uh, should look on YouTube. There's a short film called Family Dog that okay. Brad directed in 1980s as part of Steven Spielberg's um, Amazing Stories short film anthology. Okay. And, uh, and Tim Burton did the character designs and Brad Bird directed the the thing and it's ah, cool. hilarious it's really really family funny. dog family dog yeah and it's and it's got all the it's got all the good stuff that you like and ah, cool in, we'll in put the, a link to that in the yeah. description then our our last category mm. in this kind of life journey of of one's relationship yeah. to to cinema is the i want to marry you kind of i want to settle down with you like what is that movie and it could be your high school sweetheart it could be your right. varsity film like what is the one that that you think you could kind of settle down with so to speak like what would be your forever film yeah yeah gosh that's a that's a really tricky that's a Perhaps really you haven't tricky met it question yet. <laughs> maybe i haven't met it yet the film i will say the film that i've watched the most in the last three years because i became a parent uh okay uh, i've got a five-year-old and a and a, and a three-year-old Okay. And with both of them, especially my son Frank, when he was very young and lockdown was cool new. name, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, we watched My Neighbor Totoro, which is Miyazaki's, um, okay. uh, you know, a film about about a Japan that again never existed. It's sort of post-war, idyllic countryside, kids with their dad, sort of move into a haunted house, you know, mm. and it's very slow and it's stunningly drawn and it shouldn't in a lot of ways it really shouldn't work and I think that some people might find it quite dull because it doesn't not a lot happens but they, sure I they, can see that yeah. they meet but they meet this big forest spirit who lives next door uh, who's yeah. Totoro and it just um, brings added spiritual dimension to their lives yeah. and they're dealing with you know a sick parent who's in hospital and stuff yeah. and just the subtlety and the and the the tone of that that film I just think is really remarkable and and i think that you know as i think about films that i would love to make maybe one day yeah. if it's if, if if it's if it's possible for me to kind of get back into directing one day like that to me is like a gold standard film and and, and i have watched it a lot and it still hasn't worn out for me so, good so yeah it, i mean it goes in an interesting direction i remember at one point when they were traveling inside the cat bus yeah for those who who know <laughs> The film obviously know what I'm talking about. For those who don't know what on earth I'm talking about, I implore you to go and watch the movie to see what I'm talking about. Absolutely. But I mean, at that point, it just gets crazy and fantastical in a lovely way, not in a dark and weird yeah. way like perhaps Spirited Away goes. But It's a very I mean, gentle that, film, right? That, that also means someone's got to think very far out of the box to create such a weird moment and have you so confidently take their hand and go on this little trip on Absolutely. a on a to sit inside a character that is a furry cat that is also yeah. a flying bus. <laughs> uh, absolutely. It's it's full of charm. Uh, anyone who's got it, the thing that I love about it is that it works. I think it's one of those films that works for for very young kids because it's not aggressive in any kind of way. It's not there aren't jump scares. It's, yeah. It, but it, it has a wonderful atmosphere. We actually took my son to see, I think, the um, the Royal Shakespeare Company 
put on a stage stage version with the Jim Henson Company, the Jim oh, Henson wow. Workshop, uh, at the Barbican. And uh, when we were recently in, in in London for the for the release of our own film uh, for Smiths and Smooths, a bunch of us uh, animators went to go see it. And it was amazing to see the story in a completely different medium. Yeah, uh, uh, with all the music kind of done. That's live a big swing. It's a big swing, and I think they, I think they, man, for me, they really pulled it off. That's that's important. And yeah. uh, I don't think they would have done it unless there were <laughs> enough people along the way going, "No, this works." Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was it was amazing. They, at the, I you know, at, at one point they reveal a, a one of the puppets. It's like two stories high. It's it's lovely. It's really really cool. But so I think that might be if I had to settle down, I'll I, I will I'll, I'll just say that that one of the, besides Ghostbusters and My Neighbor Totoro, one of and this is this is a weird thing to admit. Yeah, yeah. One of the movies that I've space. seen the most is. Did you ever watch Mystery Science Theater three thousand? That that old show on Sci Fi Channel. I didn't watch too much of it, but I know of it. Yeah. They, the first time I ever saw that, they did a takedown of a South African sci-fi movie okay. called Space Mutiny. And, okay. And, man, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in my life than being like, I think I was 15 years old. I was watching it with my buddy. And a friend of ours taped it off Sci-Fi Channel and says, you've got to check this thing out. So, so Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, 3000. 3000 was a show where they took, these like old B-grade movies. Mm -hmm. And then they had these characters that were sort of these little shadowy figures at the bottom of the frame yeah. who then commented throughout and made this. this kind of fun, yeah. fun, jokey commentary while they were watching the movie. So you obviously saw the movie itself and then it was heightened by these, these funny comments throughout, which obviously made fun of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this yeah. was a South African film. It was a, I only, only figured out later because, of course... Um, Called what? Space Mutiny, right? Did you ever find the original movie? Or did uh, you only ever watch I it? I saw it. There was a video store here in... Um, Space Mutiny. In, uh, uh, um, in Rosebank somewhere, like an old video store. And we saw the video... Like, this was years ago, but we saw the video cover. And we're like, oh my goodness, there it is. But it was filmed in Joburg. Wow. Uh, by a guy named David Winters, who's a South African guy. He was an actor. He, I think he was in the original West Side Story as one of the Jets. Oh. And, um, and, and he made this movie. And, and the main actors are American. But then everyone else is All the extras are are South African. And you can tell. And, and, <laughs> and, and they filmed it in some warehouse. <laughs> and it's like the whole setup is like they're on the space station. And there's like um, the head of security tries to, to form this coup. And there's these shootouts, but it's like bricks and mortar. You know, it's like cinder block. Oh, it looks like they, they joke at one point that it looks like the 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 Anheuser Busch Brewery. You know, <laughs> they're having this the space station shootout. That's hilarious. And it's okay, it, we must try and dig that up. And it was, I think, I'm pretty sure people can find it on YouTube. But I I've seen that because I showed that so many times to people. I've probably seen it like thirty over thirty times. Okay, so, so that's I've, the weird sort of that's the hit. weird. That's the that if I had to be honest about the movies I've watched the most. <laughs> And but, but you showed people the the mystery science theater version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't show them, which the is something different. Like that, that that's the it film is. heightened by the comedy. So of it's it. not. Yeah, it's not quite like Birdemic or The Room, where you can just. I don't know though. Maybe it would be. Maybe if you just saw it. We have a we have a night at the Bioscope called Cheesy Movie Night. Yeah. And um, there's a movie that I discovered recently um, that I really want to make the next Cheesy Movie Night, which is the movie Airborne. Did Tell me about Airborne. I have not heard Airborne, of Airborne. <laughs> Airborne is the one and only 
rollerblading movie. Oh, wow. So... Oh, wait a minute. I yeah, think yeah. I've seen... It's I've... going to come back to you. As is I this... describe it, it's going to come back to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's this like California bro in high school, like, you know, like a real like shaka bra, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, very cool Cali. And then he uh, has to do six months in some wintry town in the middle of the States while right. his parents go to Australia, funny right. enough. And there is a young Seth Green who is his cousin, right. who looks after him. And then he is this kind of fish out of water. Um, one of the school kids is a young Jack Black. Wow. And he doesn't fit in because he's the surfer bro, but there's no water. Everyone loves hockey. Right. But he did rollerblade a bit in, in California. So he takes out his rollerblades and then he sort of joins the sort of roller rollerblading sort of gang. <laughs> right. And the guys then, are all uh, practicing for, for hockey. And then yeah. there's this sort of town has this competition between them and this other group and then he has to rollerblade and that's like, awesome it's so cheesy that's awesome but it's out there yeah funny okay i'm gonna give you airborne yes to rent because yeah. i think that's ridiculous that sounds great um i mean let's try find space, space mutiny, mutiny and watch <laughs> <Dig> it, it <laughs> and watch it for the 31st time yeah i'd want to watch that um but i'll give that to you ah oh, lovely Okay, I think I found you airborne. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. awesome. But I awesome. think you're one of those people, every now and again we have a guest that probably watches more movies than myself. So, well, not oh, since, I've not got since, one more for you. Sorry. Not, not since we had kids. So any recommendations? Well, are your very daughter welcome. is how old? Three years old. Okay, so she's the youngster. Okay. Yeah. Perhaps when she reaches a certain sort of teenage age, mm -hmm. you could show her Mitchell's vs. the Machines. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mitchell's great film. What hey? a great movie. Really cool. Honestly, I watched so many movies during lockdown. Like mm -hmm. I was averaging like two a day, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which awesome. is quite a lot. That's awesome. Because I had nothing to do. My Man. cinema was in like lockdown. I couldn't do anything. Did, I you, did you watch them here? No, I couldn't even come here. I'm talking like hard lockdown. Right, 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 right. And, and I honestly think Mitchell's vs. the Machines was one of my top movies of that year. It had so much heart. Absolutely, yeah. And you can really, I mean... I gotta tell you that main character. That's like everyone I studied with, because <laughs> you can imagine it's like was animators talking about you know being creative and wanting to express themselves. Yeah, and, you know all that kind of stuff. But it, it's such a yeah. great relationship between the dad and daughter. Yeah, yeah. No, and uh, I was trying to describe it to somebody the other day, and I was like, well, it's like National Lampoon's Vacation meets Terminator, <laughs> <laughs> with so much heart, with lots of heart, yeah. and and lots of cool meta. TikTok and YouTube inspired. Exactly. Humor. It was made for the generation of now. Yeah. For for kids now. And oh, it was so good. Okay. Well, I'm going to give you that. That's a good whether, shout. Whether you want it. No, that's a good shout. I'll take okay, that. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Listen, Didi, I'm so happy for you with everything that you've been doing. Thank you so much. And here's yeah. to many more BAFTAs and Oscar shortlists and some nominations and some wins thanks mate I yeah. think you just it's so cool that you've been so busy it's so great that you've never stopped and I think you're on such a great wicket <laughs> well, I, <laughs> to, to give a, a British and Australian and South African term and if I can leave leave with one one thing for your for your listeners is if they haven't heard of it yet go check out Kazazimoto on uh, yes on, okay uh, so Disney that's Plus. one last thing we did yeah. do a, a special episode on that yeah um, which is a few episodes back, but that was a big one for you, huh? Well, I, I, 
I didn't have much to do with it. I helped out a little bit with development in the beginning, and then I and I did work with some of the directors. I gave some a couple of workshops for storyboarding and and working with um, art directors and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's if I think that you know I I've ridden a wave in terms of the kind of work that we were doing, which is mostly kind of you know doing doing stuff for international clients but i think what's really exciting about that and um you know some of the other stuff that's coming out right now and i could talk about like you know triggerfish did the the um the star wars short uh yes uh, yes or um uh star wars visions they've got a, a show called kia on disney plus for preschool they've got a show on netflix called uh super team four there's now a whole just this year there's been so much african animation yeah and uh and it's 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 written here voices are here you yeah. know it's beautiful and, and 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 that's and that's really exciting to see and i think the observation and i think everyone involved in kazazi motive must know that yes there'll be the celebration of it now yes there'll be the fanfare and the talk and the watching and the consumption mm. but you'll only perhaps see some of its biggest effects in a decade's time where like yeah. some little kid now has watched some of these shorts and gone like, oh, futuristic Soweto, like rad. Yeah. Oh, that's us. Yeah. I can imagine that. Yeah, oh, man. that's me. That, and I love that animation. And, you know, it could be the puppy love film of Absolutely. Of, of so many young animators. That, I hope that, so. That could, that'll, yeah, that representation is powerful. We talk about it all the time here. No, it's, I, so, I, so it's absolutely. interesting that you might only see that effect in the years to come. But I think animation is like that, you know, it's still largely seen as. You know, it's still largely geared towards young audiences. Yeah. But then it, it, the, the thing that I love about working in that space is that um, one of the weirdest things I got to tell you is that you hear from parents, especially parents in the UK, who who we our movies are really geared towards. Yeah. They watch these things like on repeat, and wow. so like uh, just like I did with the VHS tapes that my mom did yeah. for us. Some some of them say, you know, that we've watched this thing like. 30 times like yeah in a, in a is month that, is that a parent with a kid or just you're you just saying just adults as well i think i think it's parents with kids i think look i think they're good babysitting films because they're short they're, yeah. they're 25 minutes so if you need to go quickly get dinner on and stuff like yeah you know, but so what you realize you're doing is that you are you are kind of you, whatever you've made it gets it really gets a chance to get in there and really yeah. affect the inner world of the kid and i'm really um happy about um the kind of the, the heart and the messages that are embedded in those stories that Julia Donaldson came up with, you know, mm. and and I'm uh, I, and I and I remember that happening to me, you know, like yeah. you get your value, some of your values are shaped through through that stuff that you watch when you're really young. Totally. So, so really, what so what you're saying about Kazazimoto, all that stuff, like for, for kids here, I really hope you're right. I really hope that they're watching. I and, guarantee it. Yeah. I mean, Gad, one of the coworkers here, he's got a stepson, well, future stepson. Um, it's his girlfriend's um, son that lives with them, and he he apparently watched Gazazimoto like over and over again. Man, that's awesome to hear. And yeah, I was like, that's what you want, man. Yeah, man, that's what you want. And you got to watch that space. The guy, the 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 the, the men and women who make Gazazimoto, they're gonna do big things. You know, yeah. it's the doors kicked open. I think. And what yeah. a lovely door to have first. You know, Disney Plus. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Lovely. Dan, thank you for your time, man. Such it's a so pleasure. so nice catching yeah. up. Like, we, we bumped into each other a few times here and there. Yeah. I've been seeing you at Comic-Con, like, really quickly. Yeah, in Clough Street, uh, yeah. having a couple of uh, drinks. At <laughs> <That> <laughs> when too. you guys were playing a gig a couple of years ago. Yeah, Lovely. 
I, I don't even know whether I remember that. When was that? <laughs> it was quite jolly. It was probably like 2015, 16, <laughs> I got to tell okay. you. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, Short straw, yeah. <laughs> lovely. And I just, yeah, you're just one of those people where I, I value the fact that I got to know you when I did. It was so cool to just see your name in those credits. Awesome, man. Thank you. And I'm so proud of everything you've achieved. I think that's so cool. And um, I use this, per- to be perfectly honest, as a chance to catch up with people. Like this is a chance to have like, you know, a, an hour or 40 minutes like proper conversation, proper right? conversation. And so I appreciate it. Hey, man, me too. This Thank is such a pleasure. Time. Thank you so much for inviting me. Cool. All right. We'll see you soon. Awesome. Okay. Bye. All right. What a good chat. Mm. What a lovely dude. Seems really nice. He's a he's such a great guy, and w- whenever I have bumped into him, it's always been great. I love how there's the one time that he can't that I can't remember meeting him. I think I might have been a bit sozzed, but oh. um, uh, I did see him. Funny enough, and both of us forgot this moment. Um, backstage at the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert, he oh. he somehow knew someone, and somehow he was linked to Josh Klinghoffer the guitarist okay. for Chili Peppers at the time. So I saw him backstage. And you were linked because of the backing band that you met. Yeah, I met the dudes in the crew. Yes, I remember this. Yeah, and so we did We did see each other then, which was cool. And um, yeah, Snail in the Whale is on Showmax. It's something everyone can can watch and enjoy. I, I thought it was so delightful. Mm. And of course, for all parents out there, it is, a, as Dan said, a good nanny film in the fact that you know, you can put it on while you do something and the kids can be entertained for like a good 20 It's a babysitter film. That's what he said, babysitter film. Oh, it's interesting because in the TV medley in our show, uh, Key Change, Jonathan talks about coming home from school and having babysitters, which were Dorothy Spornak, uh, who's from Golden Girls. Okay. B. Arthur from Golden Girls. Okay. Uh, Jessica Fletcher. Yes, good old Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> and then uh, I'll save the last one for the show so, so people don't get the naughty last reference. But that's totally true. Yeah. Like, And now the modern day babysitter is good old Bluey. I don't know if you've Probably. seen Bluey with your niece and nephew. No, no, they're too old for that now. Okay. But, but yeah, no, those, they'll, always, they'll always be a Bluey. Yeah, low-key, low-key, my favorite thing about going to visit my friend in Cape Town with his two-year-old daughter is we get to watch Bluey together. <laughs> it's like I'm not going to watch it by myself at home. The, the, but, uh, Leslie's niece um, is uh, consumed a lot of Paw Patrol, and mm. I could see that was the that was the Bluey show of, that. of okay. that of that year or two. Okay, that 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 age. Anyways, but uh, speaking of well, I watched two films on the plane last week. I took mm, a, Moby Dick. Took a little tr- took a little trip. I um, I watched the whale. Oh, the whale, Brendan Fraser, of course. The whale. Have you seen it yet? I haven't. It's in, like in all the Oscar yeah, buzz. Every single year there's like the one film that I do not get around to and it becomes that thing where you're like, I should and then you kind of procrastinate on it and you do get the opportunity. And you procrastinate because you know it's gonna be depro and difficult and tough. Yeah. I and think that is and the I reason. put that off. And then going um to this trip, um Leslie, my girlfriend, she watched the well. And when yeah, when we landed, I realized she'd watched it. And I was like, okay, she couldn't have watched it and not me. <laughs> so on the way back, I watched <laughs> The Whale. Um, it, it is. It's amazing. It's a, it's a great film. And it's, it's all about the performance. 
It's yeah. 100% about the performance because it is a, a play. Right, it's based on a play. But w- the point I want to make is that the movie is a play. Like, it's it's as if you were watching a play. It really? plays out and feels like a play. Okay. You never leave the apartment effectively. You All the scenes and the pacing and everything just feels like you're watching a play, which is which is cool. It's it's lovely. And there was something I wanted to tell you, which I think you'd appreciate. It came out in a podcast episode with Macaulay Culkin, of all people. Nuts. And he was saying that out of the three main mediums, film, television, and theater, each one has a more dominant art to it. So film is very much the director's medium. It's your chance to really put your stamp yeah. Create your thing. Uh, television is very much the writer's medium because it is all about the writing, the show, the way the audience responds, the way that they very quickly, I don't know whether you know this, but in sitcoms, you know, they'll do one episode a week. Yeah. They'll be the test one. They'll see who laughs, who doesn't laugh. They'll quickly change it. You know, you really only speak about the writer's room yes. being something linked to a TV show. And then he said that theater is very much the actor's medium where, yeah, mm. there's been direction and of course there's incredible writing. Yeah, there's but, a vision, there's a set design, etc. But when the lights come up, it's all about the actors. Yeah. And, and, and that really came out here. I was very aware of that in The Whale. With Especially with someone like Darren Aronofsky behind it because you'd expect that you would feel that auteurial presence. Yeah, there was very the little in that regard. It was, wow. it was like 100% acting. That is so interesting to see the trajectory from Requiem for a Dream and sure. Pi well, I like think this. I think he watched the play and yeah. said, you know, and was so moved by it that he's like, we've got we to gotta have this be seen by more people. Interesting. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's heavy, but... Whew. I mean, and, and, ironically, and of <laughs> yeah, and um, you 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 feel it like in your throat. You feel oh, it. You is feel it a yucky it. feeling? Yeah, because there's these moments where he kind of gorges himself. Okay, quick back of the box. Um, the well is all about uh, the main character Charlie, who is this large man. He's clearly suffering from some level of obesity and um, trauma, like emotional eating disorder. Emotional eating disorder. And without giving too much away, it's over the course of a week um, where he kind of has to figure out uh, a lot of what went wrong in his life and kind of make amends because he's not doing well. He's unhealthy to the point where he is going to die. Damn. So it's a, it's a, it's a seeing mortality and a ticking time bomb and and one of those incredible stories where just at certain key parts things are revealed in such a lovely way where all of a sudden you just got this extra depth of what's going on in his life and it just unravels to a sense that you just get this great picture by the end wow of his life um and yeah just phenomenal so he very 100 deserves it i mean i know we, 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 we keep speaking about the fact that we shouldn't have to give these folks awards I think we should all just take all the nominees and go, congratulations, you did it. Yes. Get a participation trophy and, you know, they shouldn't have to pick a winner. But, um, 
he certainly does deserve that recognition. He he really acted his pants off. That's good to hear. So yeah. Um, speaking of other sort of more serious films, or taking a serious subject matter, mm. I watched the film um, Spoiler Alert last night, which kind of sounds. It's a bit of a silly name. It's a deceptive name because uh, it it's, sounds like it's a teen comedy. <laughs> it does. <laughs> but what it is is it's based on the book, Spoiler Alert, The Hero Dies in the End, which is a much better name. It is a much That's better name. That's the name, name of the book. And what it is, it's the personal memoir of a journalist. And it's about the relationship that he had with his boyfriend who passed away from cancer. Sure. It is, it's, it's great. I really, really enjoyed it. It, it was um, one of those real like love is love films. And what I mean by that is it starts out and you realize, okay, this is going to be a gay relationship, but very quickly is not a gay film. Does that make sense? Right. It's just it's, about love. It's just two people in love. And it's amazing mm. how quickly you you it doesn't become a thing and you are just so rooting for these two and you feel and get their love even if it's not a love like for myself personally i've ever yes. felt but it doesn't that doesn't matter because immediately it's just it's human to human mm. and and um yeah funny enough similar to the whale it's it's about seeing that mortality come through he sort of sees himself in in a in a in a game show. Well, not a game show. In a, he sees himself in a TV show. So it, it cuts to this this fake TV show that he's a part of. And the main character, funny enough, is Jim Parsons, who's in um, Big Bang Theory. Mm. So you also takes a few minutes to sort of wash the Sheldon away that you know him to be. Yes, and then you you get a really great performance from him. That's interesting. So that's spoiler to know. alert. That is on a DSTV box office. That's good to know. It's good to know that there's another movie like that uh, where love is love. Yeah. Yeah. So the last time I had that moment might have been the first, or look, rather the first time I had that moment was Brokeback Mountain. I'm sorry to be cliche. No. But it was totally one of those moments where you go, oh, wow, this is, and I was very young, but love being experienced and expressed normally as if it's love. And the queerness is an issue in that movie like central to the conflict. But this sounds lovely. It uh, sounds really it's, good. It's, it's, it was really well handled, well done. So just a clarification on the back of the box there, is the boyfriend dying of cancer or dead? He, he dies. Okay, he dies of cancer. Oh, that's yeah, the dead. spoiler. Yeah, the spoiler. Oh, is that, like, the literally hero? as the movie starts, um, you see him on his deathbed. And it's so like, Jim Parsons alert, or the boyfriend? The boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. And so you, it's quite interesting to then see the title credits at the end, see the full name, where, it's, where the full name of the book it was adapted from is The Hero Dies in the End because you then realize that at least for the book and the intention of the author, the hero was actually his partner, his husband. And then it's told from his perspective. But then it's told from the other guy's perspective. Mm. So it's interesting. That is intriguing. Yeah, that is so a you very can imagine, good sell. Yeah, so you can imagine that um, they, they then took that that section out of the name because maybe it was deceiving. But I, I like that full name. It's way more enticing as a name. Spoiler alert. Because like, I just watched This Is The End for the first time with my friend in Cape Town, which is a crazy-ass movie. With, uh, the one with the ensemble cast in the yes. end of the world. yes. <laughs> 
and the 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 rapture happens. Yeah, Jesus, that's a ridiculous movie. That is insane. My favorite. I love how, I love how bad um, Michael Cera. Yeah, is Michael Cera is the naughty boy, <laughs> getting drunk and like harassing women, like feeling women. up Rihanna. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Fuck, it was a silly movie. <laughs> it's a stupid movie. And then old Hermione Granger comes in and is all badass, <laughs> and then Joni Hill gets gets um. Yeah, gets um, by a demon. By a demon. With like a 20-inch long dick. It's crazy. Jesus. It's an insane movie, but um, I should I watched it high. I shouldn't have done that. It was <laughs> far more traumatizing than I think it would have been if I hadn't done that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like spoiler alert, sounds like it's going to be something like that. Yeah, uh, you can know. almost imagine the poster looking yeah. like an, not another teen movie, but it's not. It's not that. Amazing. But um, speaking of bonkers, crazy movies, mm-hmm. um, outrageous movies, I watched the Weird Al Yankovic biopic. Oh, stunning. Weird. Yeah. Weird. The Weird Al story. Yes. The Weird Al Yankovic story. It's got... Um, Dan Rad. Daniel Radcliffe, old Harry Potter. Yeah. It is fucking amazing. I So I discovered Film Talk or Film TikTok or Movie Talk, yeah. not sure, in my late night browsing where people pretty much put entire films on TikTok, okay. um, which is very naughty. Seven oh. Seasy, like Sailing the Seven Seas. Yeah. But uh, definitely watched a number of clips of Weird on TikTok, and so, it was hilariously funny. It, and also, I don't understand that a whole bunch of people watch this, and you can explain why. And we're sitting there going, wait, no, did he really write yeah. Beat It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Like people don't get that it's parody. Yes. So so what it is, is it's a chance for a famous musician called Weird Al Yankovic, who I listen to. He sort of enters your life every sort of five or six years, at least of my childhood. So yeah. the nineties, the eighties, nineties. So what it what it is is Weird Al Yankovic was a very famous musician growing up who was famous for being a parody artist. So he would take popular songs and rewrite the lyrics. Yes. And I remember doing, like, the, these songs in, in, came across me multiple times. And um, this is a chance for him to have his own biopic. Because someone obviously proposed this to him, or perhaps he thought, wouldn't it be great? Mm. But what he's done is he's made a parody of himself. He's made a parody of the biopic where he's gone, why don't we make this ridiculous movie that is not true? Where I, 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 we make up all this bullshit about myself. Like at one point, he's in a relationship with Madonna because yes. Madonna wants to be with him just so that he can parody one of her songs so that she can get what's called the Weird L Bump, where her <laughs> music is going to be so popular. Um, because Just he's parodied, because he parodied, because he's parodied her, her composition. Um, and then what's hilarious is, as part of this movie, they tell the bullshit story that he, at one point in his life, no longer wants to do parodies. He's going to write original music. So he writes um, Eat It, and it's, and it's very clear that it's Michael Jackson's Beat It. Yes. But the, the joke in the film is that his version comes out first that he wrote that and michael jackson parodies, parodies. him oh it's fucking and hilarious. then he becomes irritated that his original music is being parodied and, then and everybody, sees the irony of that and then well and he gets annoyed that everybody thinks 
he parodied Michael Jackson. Meanwhile, it was the other way around. Exactly. But of course, so it's all just a silly joke. It's all just a huge parody, yeah, ironically. The, the whole movie. And it's just filled with the most ridiculous thing because he he played the accordion. He was not a cool dude. Yes. But his music was always accepted and fun and he was celebrated to some degree because I think he was just always such a nice guy in real life, like a very wholesome, cool dude, but not hip. And yeah. and so but they've made this movie where you know he um he he's got like this alcohol problem and all these chicks and he's like <laughs> Oh my god, no, it's the and typical the accordion, music by they, they they make a joke that like the accordion is almost like sort of smoking weed, you know? Like I can't believe you're playing the accordion. <laughs> oh no, it's just so fun. And I I think it might only really be funny for people who know him. Yeah. And know his music. And I think you really get the joke. But um, I really liked it. It was hilariously funny. Okay. It was really, really okay, good. Okay, so the parts that you saw, you, you yes. appreciated. Okay. Another thing that I thought was cool is that there's going to be a Scott Pilgrim TV show. Yeah, anime. Yeah. That's, that's why I saw it was being called, the Scott Pilgrim anime, but it's just animated Scott Pilgrim based off the comic and the film. Well, it was originally a comic, yeah. right? Yeah. And then we know it most of us know it as the the live action movie yes. which Edgar Wright did with Michael Cera which and is everyone. old now yeah which is ridiculous but it's awesome yeah um so they are they they're going back to the source material and and making a TV show exactly which is going to come to Netflix in November yeah i'm kind of annoyed that it's so far away cuz when i watched the trailer i got really excited and expected it to come soon yeah uh, but yeah happy to wait and i believe the entire film cast reunited to okay, record cool. this. So it's actually a nice evolution of things. Yes. Um, speaking of the last conversation we just had now with Dan about the magic of animation, you you can imagine that going back to the source material and playing with animation, the show can perhaps do more that the, that the live action couldn't. Mm. It can play more with the fantastical. And it's although very the, interesting Although to the think. movie did a very good job. Exactly. The film is kind of really it. well known for that genre blending in terms of gaming and live action because it was taking its cue so much from gaming uh, and all the different cuts it was making in the motion graphics of like familiar titles in gaming, you know? So it's interesting to see that animation can go beyond what the film did yeah, um, and give us something different, yeah. you know, from that experience no, I think that's and something more long form, which is cool. Yeah. You can get more into it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's something I'm excited about. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's all the that's all the new stuff I've watched. Yeah, which I think is great. Is there anything else you want to mention? I rewatched Oppenheimer with uh, the cast of Key Changing Cape Town. Oh, you um, rewatched it? Yeah. So went to the very meager IMAX cinema at the VNA waterfronts in Cape Town. So I'm very sorry to these Cape Townians that have this tiny IMAX, which uh-huh. is like was very disappointing size wise. It really is about the size with IMAX. <laughs> I mean, the sound was incredible as IMAX always is, yeah. but the screen was much smaller and the cinema was smaller. There were like a third of the amount of seats that we get in the Joburg cinemas. Oh. Um, so I couldn't sit in my usual spot because then I would have been too close because it's such okay. a small cinema. And how was it for you rewatching? Absolutely incredible. Uh, okay. Had much more of a fun time that I understood the narrative and where it was going and what to expect. So I focused more on what the music was doing and the cues and its mixture with sound. Uh, and looking more at the technical aspects of it and 
was so much fun. And I laughed really hard. There was this lady complaining about the film behind me to her husband. And the only word I heard was grass. You know, talking about the noise. It was so loud. And I had these old duckies sitting next to me. Uh, and you could see them jumping whenever there was a big yeah, atomic blast. Okay. You know, like getting a little fright. So it was good to experience it again. And, um, you know, Jonathan said that he was like unbelievably gripped from start to finish. Yeah. No, it, it holds you. It holds you so well. It's like a, it's a dramatic film that's not about action, but it plays out as a thriller. It's yeah. so, so, so good. Yeah. And then um, I made, uh, for those of you who don't know, there's a beautiful chocolate lab on Instagram called Raisin, the chocolate lab, uh, which is the chocolate <laughs> lab belonging to our cellist, Lindsay Moore. And, and, um, and the dog's name is Raisin. Yeah, Raisin, chocolate lab. And she's an Instagram influencer. Yeah. And she came down to Cape Town while we were touring Key Change and met a whole bunch of other Instagram influencer dogs uh, <laughs> and had play dates, which is really cool. And... Um, yeah, Raisin, we had a fantastic time with her and I saw that Lindsay loved dogs so I made her watch Paddington 1 and 2. And okay. I know it's like movie people, it feels really good to get it right and I don't know, my love language is showing people movies, right? Okay. So it's like when you get that recommendation correct and someone's like, I fucking love that and you're like, yes. So I made Lindsay watch Paddington 1 and Paddington 2. We had the best time. Who's Lindsay? So the uh, owner of... Raising the chocolate lab and the cellist and key change. Okay, so she was part of the production. Now the dog mum, the dog human, That's whatever lovely. we say these days. Yeah. Yeah, so Paddington 2 again. But I love how that's your love language. Absolutely. Mm. No, 100%. Um, it's like a gifting. It's the, it's the sort of category of gifts. Yes, of exactly. Of, of personalized gifts or exactly. meaningful gifts or something. That's yeah. one of the, the actual categories. Exactly. Of, of that sort of famous love language breakdown. Exactly. And I'm yeah. sure that's even a bit limiting. Active, in terms of, it's called active meaningful kindness or something. Yes. Yeah. Active kindness, physical touch. I don't know. I can't remember all of them. It's but probably it's pseudoscientific bullshit anyway. Any kind of personality profiling is nonsense. But sure. No, but I appreciate It's a way for us to explain ourselves and understand. And yeah, and also kind of understand your values and what you want. Exactly. Especially out of a relationship. No, Speaking totally. specifically about how you communicate with your partner. Yeah. I, I appreciated hearing the love language thing Same. recently. No, it helped yeah. me understand myself in a big way. But I think a big problem with modern love and the internet is that we tend to think that we have access to knowledge that makes us qualified to make judgments. Um that we shouldn't necessarily have. I think that knowledge has become democratized, which is cool. But we should use it as a way to understand ourselves, not to diagnose other people. I think I've seen people try to explain me in shitty situations in exes, you know, mm. where I kind of go, you don't know what you're talking about, mm. kind of thing. And I go to a therapist and they say, am I codependent? And they're like, no, <laughs> cool. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's a way, it's like saying what Harry Potter house you're in. You know, it's a similar thing. It's just as valid. All of it is stupid, but it's a way to understand ourselves. Yeah. Because there are only five love languages. Come as on. you said, yeah. How do we know that? But yes, one of them is a gift, if if that's the way. Yeah. Mm. But I don't give gifts. I make you watch movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it needs to be a sixth love language. It's playing you a song or making you watch a movie, making you experience something. Lovely. Guiding you through life. Showing you art. Yeah, exactly. 
Uh, magic. Thank you, my guy. It's so lovely to have you back. Yeah, it's good to be back. And I want to get into watching more movies. Yeah. So we'll see people on Thursday. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Uh, in the week that this episode is coming out, hopefully you see this and, and hear it in time. And hopefully if you live in Joburg, you come down to the Bioscope. And hopefully there's still space Yeah. for you to buy a ticket and come and watch Old Boy. Yeah, and come say hi. Yeah, magic. Um, thank you, my guy. And we'll see you again soon. Lovely. Um, for those who enjoyed this episode, uh, we want to now more than ever have you realize what other episodes have come before this, especially when it comes to the making of visual media, so the directing. Uh, it's worth mentioning that we have had other directors on the show. Uh, most recently, so heading backwards in 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 order of backwards, <laughs> we've got uh, Melissa Tando Bongela. She is episode 59. She was a documentary filmmaker, director. Great episode. Uh, David Enright uh, is episode 57. He was the director of uh, Devil's Dorp and Stella Murders, which is on Showmax. Uh, then we had our good friend Samantha Nell, who came up in this episode with, with mm. Dan. Uh, her debut film, Do Your Worst, is on Netflix. That was episode 44. And then back as early as 23, episode 23, Whoa. was a buddy of mine, Fausto Bacati, who's mm. a, a commercials director. So there's lots of other episodes down in the feed <laughs> so we implore you if you've got that extra time to to go and scout around those old ones if you've only joined us now mm. but magic thank you my guy um, yeah go to thevideostore.co.za all the links are there and uh, and hope to see you at one of our presents nights hope to see you chime in on social media leave a rating and review and we hope to see you again next week lovely okay bye cheerio